Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. This is a set of verses that we ran across about three weeks ago uh, that really struck me, seemed like it struck my family as well, as something we needed to preach a little bit more on. I preached it at Denham Springs um, last weekend. Boy, that feels like it was a couple weeks ago now. Um, and I feel like it complements and follows what I preached here Sunday uh, very, very well. So we'll look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Uh, I do want to ask that you pray for the Hillies. I know Brother Nate was planning to preach this morning. Uh, he texted Brother Tate Pierce and I this morning and said that uh, he's not been sleeping well. Uh, and he's, he's still struggling quite a bit, so he went back to bed. So uh, don't take that as, as a lazy Christian. Certainly understand there's more at play there with, with him and his situation. But um, they are in a parsonage, for, so for him to decide... Uh, to rest instead of making the walk or the drive over is pretty significant. So do pray for him if you would. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 reads as follows. Again, Paul is writing to those in Philippi. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we break down this text and lay out the, the points and the, uh, the impressions that you laid on my heart, Father, I just pray that you would be with each and every one of us, that we would receive your word, that we would take action upon it as necessary in our hearts and lives, that we'd be drawn closer to you. If we are doing well in these realms, Lord, strengthen us and solidify our stance that we may do so continually, unashamedly, and boldly. If we are off in these things, Father, bring us to a point of repentance that we might grow closer and closer to Thee. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, under the, uh, what I like to say, not casting a shadow, your own shadow on a gospel, uh, we see this point of verses, and I just want to break down some things that Strong's defines for us so that we can see how this verse can be read. And this I pray that your love may abound. And immediately we see an action in these verses, that our love may abound. And we're going to see here in a minute a method to how we are to see our love abound. But Strong's defines the word abound as to exceed a fixed number of measure, to be left over and above a certain number of measure. So to shorten all that up, we are to love without limit to see our love that it abounds in the following actions uh, or the following methods to see that it has no limit. So we are, we see in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more, which solidifies how Strong's defines the word abound. And then we see the method in judgment or, or rather more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So there's two ways in which we are to see our love abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve, which means to discern or examine, things that are excellent or of more value, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. We live in dangerous times, beloved. Yet we have scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his king? As we read in Second Peter chapter 3 verses 3 through 4. We live in dangerous times because we see these things happening already. But I'm concerned that they are not the only ones willingly ignorant of the word of God as Peter points out in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 5. 
Look to the text that's before us and ask yourselves if the judgment and knowledge that you exercise truly is an expression of your love. Are we in these times that we are, be, that we are in being sincere and without offense? Are we careful? Are we cautious? Are we wise as serpents and harmless as doves? These are some of the fruits Paul is describing here that glorify and bring praise to our God. Are they of no value even though his admonition is for us to be acting this way until the day of his return? There are three points to this message, the impact on us, the impact on others, and the impact on the gospel. I want to dive right in with the impact on us. Do we let the business or stress of our lives serve as an excuse to not express our abounding love and hope. We saw a little bit of this when we talked about Mary and Martha, um, siblings that were hosting Christ, and Martha was cumbered about with much. Uh, and I have to come back to that phrase, what are we cumbered with? In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When he says that he is meek and lowly in heart, he's not saying weak and easily crumbled. He's saying, I am accessible unto you. Come unto me, ye that labor and are heavy laden, because I am accessible unto you, and I will grant unto you rest. If there is a great burden keeping us from loving sincerely, we then are to repent and go to Jesus that we can get back to our calling, get back to the commission, which is a command upon us. We read in Romans 12, 9 recently, let love be without dissimulation, which means let love be sincere. And that same verse says, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. These are strong words. Don't gently cling to or gently push away. Abhor, detest evil. Cleave. Draw nigh unto thee, with both arms embrace that which is good. We talked last week about what, you know, the hug or being open and that it's pointing away from ourselves. It is a type of humility because as we read in the rest of Romans 12, it is likely true and probably our opinion, not everyone deserves our love. But we are commanded that when our enemy hungers, we give him bread. When he thirsts, we give him drink that we're heaping coals upon them, coals of mercy, coals of grace, coals of love. And beloved, I don't know when the last time is that we thought about this, but they're not going to find that anywhere else. We want to see our communities get stronger and kinder. Then those of us who know the Lord Jesus need to be about the work of telling them about him. They won't get there on their own. We talked about Martha, the sister of Mary and Lazarus. She missed out on the Lord's teachings for the sake of being a busy host. <coughs> we saw this in Luke 10, verses 41 through 42. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. In this book, Philippians, that we're looking at right now, we see in his letter that he addresses the benefits of the ministry as a result of what happened to him. And, and we've actually been in Philippians for a little bit, have we not? We talked about the strengths that he wrote to them about, the encouragements to stay in the ministry. And listen to what else he draws out. Verse 12, he talks about 
the, the, him being imprisoned at the time of writing this letter, what has happened around him with the gospel and with Christ. Verse 12, the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 18, Christ was being preached, and this was a result uh, of what he was going through, but it resulted in a continual rejoicing. Christ was seen to magnify in the life or death of Paul. He had resolved himself to the point that whether he lives or dies, it was going to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful place to be. You know, none of us want to think about dying, but to be in a place in your life where you realize that whether I live on from here or die on from here, I have lived at least some moments that glorify Christ Jesus. Not that they'll put on my tombstone, he was a great martyr for Christ, but that I pointed to him in living and even in death. That is our commandment, to be of no reputation, to be a deliverer of Christ Jesus. I'm afraid that we've, we've martyred some men that have worked and labored in Christ Jesus, and they've delivered the gospel faithfully, and they would have never had for us to hold their name up on some banner. But I'm afraid we have. You think of some of these men like Charles Spurgeon, and he never wrote, remember me. He never wrote, make sure that you praise me every chance that you get. And yet there are many men who do. We need to be mindful that there's only one name that should be upon our lips in such a way, and that's Christ Jesus. In verses 19 through 26 of the first chapter of Philippians, Paul goes on to say that as a result of the abounding love and prayer of joy in the faith, even looking uh, well, I just skipped a whole mess of my notes, sorry. Paul goes on to say, as a result of the abounding love and prayer of the Philippians, he was able to bear witness to the furtherance or the advancement and joy in the faith, even looking to a surge of rejoicing there in verse 26, if they were to ever be together again. What a positive outlook. Anybody here got a positive outlook? Anybody here excited about the future? Paul says, if I live, Christ Jesus be magnified. And if I get out of prison, I'll come back and we'll rejoice together again. And if I die, Christ Jesus be magnified. And others are preaching Christ Jesus too. And he goes through and says some not to the fullest account, some not as well as he should be preached, but all are talking about Christ Jesus now. Anybody got a positive outlook? Paul did. He was the chief of sinners. He was blinded on Damascus Road, dropped to the dirt, you imagine the humility of being the, per, the, pro, the persecutor of Christ, the persecutor of Christians. They feared your name, and now you're blinded. You're, you're forced to be, you're not forced, you're made to be taught by some of them. And even they said, this, Saul of Tarsus, Lord, you'll use him? Imagine the humility. It's hard to stand in front of people. But imagine having Saul's reputation. He once persecuted you. He once locked women and children up, compelling them to renounce Christ Jesus. And then he was made to preach it. He goes on to say, whether burdened with life or death, he saw an opportunity to glorify God. The impact on us ministering in abounding hope and love is illustrated very well, I think, by Paul here in Philippians chapter 1. What is the impact on others? The last thing Paul mentions of their abounding hope and love in his opening chapter to the Philippians is that it would be an evident token of perdition to their adversaries and for them an evident token of salvation and God himself. What does that mean? 
an evident token, uh, literally an obvious sign, but a comfort, a confirmation that in times of trial, their abounding hope and love would be a confirmation to them that they were his because they would find God in those trials. And to those of perdition, to those of reprobate mind, to those that were not to be saved, to those that are not elect, however you want to define it this morning, it would be an evident token or a sure sign or a confirmation of perdition, of great terror, of eternal damnation. Their hearts would be hardened so much against the gospel that it would be an evident token to all of who they serve. We have been made to believe in him. Therefore, whatever we may suffer in this life, let it be under the glorification of God himself. I want to run through some scripture. If you want to follow me, you can. Uh, if you just want to write them down, I'll give them to you first. 1 Peter 2.12, 1 Peter 4.16, and Romans chapter 15. And we're going to read through these uh, to illustrate a, a point here. 1 Peter 2.12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Second text, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now Romans 15, verses 1 through 13, we read the following. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And there's again an evident token. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye, say it, uh, <clears throat> all ye Gentiles, and laud or praise him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. There's other examples, but in these three different texts, we see that every time, every time we see the exercising of our hope and our love, we see a pouring out of joy to us as God is glorified. This is the commandment of God. This is God's math. You know, we like to see the entire problem start to finish, but God gives us one piece at a time. Love others as I have loved you. Forgive others as I have forgiven you. He gives us the Beatitudes, as Eddie and I were just talking about, how to be happy in Matthew 5. He gives it to us piece by piece by piece. And then we see proof in the text. We see evident tokens that every time we follow in faith, every time we exercise or abound in hope, 
and love, we see a pouring out of joy. Again, who in here has got a positive outlook? Have you exercised or abounded in hope and love, in knowledge, in judgment? Every time we see it in text, we see a pouring out of joy as God is glorified. It's hard to imagine another way to glorify God than to be as his son was, who was our ensample. And yet if we're here and we don't have a positive outlook, we don't have any joy whatsoever, then we have to come to the conclusion that we may not be glorifying God as well as we can or as well as we should. Thirdly, the impact on the gospel. The impact on the gospel. We are not to weaponize the gospel. As I've been contacted by a multitude of ministries and works trying to decipher what the Lord has for us, we've been warned of certain areas in which there are single-issue Christians. And much like single-issue politicians, they have one hill. They will die on that hill. They've mounted that hill. They've planted their flag on that hill. And that's where they'll die. And they're content that there's just two or three gathered together because gathered together in his name as a church. They're content with that. On the one issue in which they're certain they're right, they've abandoned all else. Let us not be single-issue Christians. Let us not weaponize this gospel. What did Paul say that he did in Ephesus? He taught the whole counsel of God, every jot, every tittle. Are we whole counsel of God Christians or single-issue Christians? This is something we have to answer for ourselves. We get good and worked up when people call us Calvinists. There's a lot more to the Bible than just tulip. There's a lot more to the Bible than what Calvin was aware of. There's way more to the Bible than what I'm aware of, most likely. And yeah, I preach a lot on discernment and love and forgiveness in the last year. There's more to the Bible in there than that. But that's where my access to the Bible comes from. My access to Christianity, my access to salvation came through the love of God the Father, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ forgiving me. So God be glorified. I'm going to keep preaching that wherever I go. Let us not get so fixed on one issue or another issue that it becomes the hill in which we intend to die no matter what. Luke 9, verses 49 through 50, John, speaking to Jesus, says, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. Jesus said unto him, Good job! Way to go, hard shell! You sure taught them? No, no. Jesus says, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. What else did Paul say there in the first chapter of Philippians? Everyone is talking about Christ Jesus now. Some are preaching amiss. Some are preaching a little off. But everyone is talking about Jesus now. There's hope and love in those conversations. There's some error. And we know that a little leaven leaven at the whole lump. This isn't a sermon against that truth. But what do we see first and foremost? John had more important work to do than run around and forbidding all the people that he felt were casting out devils in somebody else's name. It's as though Jesus said, they're casting out devils. That's a good thing. They're casting out devils, not planting them. Forbid them not. 
He could have said, you got enough to do. I'm telling you and instructing you in a lot of things you didn't know before. Why would you get so cumbered about with this one thing? Jesus is not giving a pass on heresy, but consider what John was supposed to be doing. If we're caught up in straightening out everyone else, when do we actually focus on repenting ourselves? When do we actually focus on giving the gospel? I mentioned a few weeks back, Isaac went up to Corinth and uh, he went evangelizing. And more than once, folks said, are you sure you're a Baptist and not a Jehovah's Witness? Now I'm sure that'll stir up a smirk in us. You can wipe that off real quick. Our reputation is not that we are a people that goes and gives the gospel to folks. And you might disagree with Jehovah's Witness, and I sure do. But they have our testimony. They're doing what we were commanded to do. Well, they're doing it in air, preacher. They are, but we're not doing it at all, which is the greater sin. There's scripture for that. He went out to Corinth, and I probably wouldn't have. I probably would have tied myself up in so much doctrine and so much concern that I would have kept myself from doing that which I have been commanded in the most basis of sense. They might think I'm a Calvinist. They might want to talk about Christmas. Yeah, in the middle of June, that's a fear of mine. They might want to talk about Christmas. Not because I'm afraid to talk about it, but I know it slams the door shut for a lot of people. They might think I'm a Jehovah's Witness. That alone probably scared some of you. What will I do then? You'll tell them you're not. You'll tell them instead that you're a sinner born again, that you know the love of Jesus, not because anything you did, not because of your own merits, but because he deemed it so. But we get balled up, and it doesn't take much. If we're not repenting ourselves, what impact does this have on the gospel message that we have been charged to share? I want you to picture me for a moment, one of our non-scriptural enemies, and we got a lot of them, some that don't do KJV, some who claim to be reformers, some who claim to be Arminian, some down the road that claim to be free will. So I'm, today I'm just going to straighten them all out, right? Somebody comes in has never been here before, but I got a free willer choked out on the ground. I mean, I'm down here on all fours, and they're going to repent or they're going to die right here and now. And somebody walks in and says, is the gospel preached here? And I say, oh, yes, we love sinners. Come on in and have a seat. I'll be with you in a minute. Ah! But we do that. We do that. Our sister churches do that. You do that. I do that. But we are to abound in hope and love. How do we do that while we're choking out all these who preach Jesus, but they don't preach it right? This is why I don't preach on what Campbellites believe and what Arminians believe. And I try real hard to not talk too much about what Catholics believe, though I have experience there. Because that doesn't matter. There's one God, one Holy Spirit, one Christ Jesus, for which we can be saved. I have to preach on that. And if you go out witnessing about how the Baptists are right and everybody else is wrong, very few will follow. And that's not how you disciple. We must be about God's work. We must be about God's work. When Simon Peter, and we're going to read it here in a minute. So, uh, never mind, I'll just get there. We have a need to guard the truth. But it's even more needful that we preach it. 
This truth has done just fine. For over 2,000 years, it's still here and still in front of us. Any humans in here been here around that long? Any of you fought the good fight for 2,000 years and you're still here? Mm -mm. The truth of this book should be guarded, but it must be preached if it's to survive. If we were to bury this in a hole, would we say it survived? No. Nope. It must be exercised. It must be used. Souls must be saved or this won't work. Satan has found it so easy as of late to tie us all up in knots by just simply calling into question the credibility of this or that. He shall not surely die. I mean, that's how it started, right? We shouldn't be so deceived that he wouldn't keep doing it. Do you have hope? Do you know the truth? Have you written it upon your hearts? Then share it. It's not complicated. It's what we're called to do. Do you love Jesus? Then do not concern yourselves with the discipline of others outside the church or even their rewards before feeding the sheep. Turn with me to John 21. And I want you to pay very close attention to these words. As greater men than I have broken down the, the type of love that's described here and agape and all these other things. And that's an important study. But we're losing some base knowledge from this text when that's all we do. John 21 verses 15 through 22. So when they had dined, Jesus said, saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? I want you to change the word lovest in your minds for just a second, to believest. Believest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I believe thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, believest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I believe thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, believest thou me? Peter was grieved. Now we know the word is love. I'm not changing the definition of love. But why is Simon Peter grieved? It, gentlemen, ladies, would it be the worst thing in the world if your significant other just asked you if you loved them? Would you be grieved by it? Clark says maybe during a ball game. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Would you be grieved by the one that you love most in this life, this earthly life, asking you if you love them? Even if they ask three times? There's some weight to it. It's way more heavy than do you believe me than feed my sheep. Do you believe the truth? Are you indeed a sovereign grace, landmark, missionary Baptist and feed my sheep? No, the requirement was that we love him. And the only way that we could love him is if he first loved us. So Jesus is saying, did I first love you? And Simon's saying, you know I love you. Because that's evidence of being first loved. And then there's the commandment, feed my sheep. Not get out the whip, straighten out them sheep. Beat them to death if you got to. It says, feed my sheep. How do you get the truth to the world? Well, let's use our former president as a model. Did he just simply tell everybody the truth? Or did he make sure you knew that he knew that he was telling you the truth? There's a big difference. I'm fond of the things he accomplished. But there's an arrogance that he displayed that we need to take as a warning. We shouldn't be Trump Christians. There's things he accomplished that I'm fond of. Hear me. But the Christian in the Bible is defined and described as someone who is of sober mind, someone who is vigilant, someone who is humble. 
Someone who has knowledge of humility, that has submitted themselves to God. One that is asked over and over and over again, do you love me to the point where Simon Peter is grieved? And it says, Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying what death he, would, he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto Simon Peter, follow me. What a beautiful way to, to, to close one of my last sermons here, because this is the invitation that Christ Jesus extended. Two simple words, follow me. This is what he says unto Simon Peter. But what does Peter do next? The same thing we do. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? O oh, Martha. Martha, Martha. Simon Peter's cumbered about. He's grieved at the one who made love possible, asking him over and over again, do you love me? He's not grieved at the work. And I think today we convince ourselves it's the work that grieves us. You can get grieved at work. Believe me, I know. But if everybody was as grieved about work as one person could be grieved about work, we'd all have a lot less work. So here's the thing that Simon's grieved about. It's not about the feeding of the sheep. He looked about. As soon as Jesus said again, follow me, follow my example, pursue after me, Simon Peter starts looking around. I can't go knocking on doors because that one doesn't, and that one doesn't, and that one doesn't. And I tell you what, if you straighten them out, preacher, then I'll do it. But you can see that in John's words back there too, right? John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him. Because that's what the Lord was looking for in his early church, a bunch of bullies. A bunch of bullies to walk around and forbade a bunch of people. No, Jesus said, feed a bunch of people. And it says in Romans 12, if we love people, if we love Jesus, and we love others as we're commanded to, we'll feed a bunch of people. And over and over and over again, we're told to keep our eyes on the Lord and feed a bunch of people. And yet when Jesus says, follow me, Simon Peter, who had experienced more correction from Christ than any of the other disciples, and now has a resurrected Savior in front of him, looks around. We'd say, what an arrogant chump. He's the one that said Christ didn't have to be crucified. He's the one that said, I won't stand for it. I won't have it. He's the one that said, I'll never deny you. And then did. And then suddenly we find ourselves looking around. If Jesus can't straighten out Simon Peter, well then, he's not getting to me. I'm going to do Christianity my way. Did Simon Peter get away with it? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. One of the few times he adds a third word to that invitation, and he targets it right at Simon Peter. 
There's a lot of things that this text in John 21 harkens back to. He asks them three times if he loves them. And how many times does Simon Peter deny him at Calvary? Three times. He tells them to feed the sheep. And just a few moments before this, they were out fishing, and Simon Peter, at least, was naked. They went efficient. They didn't know what to do. Christ Jesus, their Messiah, their rabbi, crucified. What do we do now? Jesus says, feed the sheep. Follow me. And then in a personal note written by, I mean, here's the other thing we can't lose track of. John wrote this. When Simon Peter looked around, for Simon Peter, John was likely the only one he could have been envious of, quite honestly. And John's writing this. Because he knows the impact it had on his brother. And it's targeted right at him. Follow, Simon Peter, me. Followest thou me. There's a lot of ways you can take this message. Oh, the former pastor trying to get a shot at somebody. No, I'm going to preach like this wherever I go, Lord willing. If God has a use for me, this will be the message on my lips. You can take it as, well, he's preaching to himself. You're darn right I am, because I need it. My son went and outwitnessed me. You think I took that lightly? And the Lord confirmed it for me the same way he confirmed for me that we didn't have the right testimony about pagan holidays. Because when I was in the office, our uh, receptionist was Jehovah's Witness, and our CFO was Jewish. And when he was inviting us to go to the Christmas party, I said, I can't go to a Christmas party. I do not celebrate those holidays. And she came around the corner and said, I didn't know Baptists didn't do the holidays. That's your testimony. Why don't you go take the temperature of what Mantachi thinks about these kinds of Baptists? See if they know anything about us. And whose fault is it if they don't? Were we told to sit in dark rooms and not tell anybody? To hide our light under a bushel? Messages like this hurt. But if you've mastered your own sins through continual repentance, and you've given all the world the gospel, then you can disregard this one. And if not, I urge you, go and sin no more.